Well, today's message is in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I, I struggled a little bit with this message in terms of whether or not I should preach it because I like the ones that are soft and make you leave here feeling good, <laughs> and this is not that. Um, I entitled this The Hypocritical Heart, and um, let me just explain to you. I was asked by Pastor Ryan to come and preach a message to the kids, and, and uh, the Lord laid this message on my heart, and, and the Lord used it with the youth. And then when it came time for me to preach this Sunday, I was actually moving in a different direction, and I felt like the Lord asked me to preach this. So I just, out of faith and trust, I'm going to bring it to you. Um, a few years ago, I, I used to be a salesman, and I sold printing. So if there's ink on paper, I sold it. And, and I, I sold it to hospitals primarily, and one of my largest accounts was St. Joseph Hospital, which is in Orange. And one time when I was going to my account, which I was there about three or four times a week, I pulled off of Main, the street is Main off the 5 Freeway, and as I pulled off, I was behind a few cars, but I could see across to the other side as the cars that were headed southbound off the freeway were pulling off. And, and there was a guy on the corner, and he's standing there with a gas can in his left hand, and he's going, five bucks, five bucks, right? And I'm thinking, oh, that poor guy, man, he must have ran out of gas. And so a car pulls up, and I see a person reach out and give him some money, and he takes it, and he puts it in his pocket. And he turns around, and he starts walking away. And then the car that gave him the money passed him as the light changed. And as soon as the car passed him, he turned back around and went back to the corner and went, five bucks, five bucks. You know, three hours later, I came back. He was still on the corner, five bucks, you know. He's a hypocrite. He's pretending to be something he's not. And today's message in Acts chapter 5, we're going to meet hypocrisy in the church. We're going to see that in Ananias and Sapphira. Now what the Lord is going to do with this is he's going to bring in a contrast. Because in Acts chapter 4, we're going to see the church is, man, it's booming. Things are happening. And we're going to meet a man by the name of Barnabas. Now Barnabas is the same Barnabas that went with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. And we're going to see a contrast between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. To kind of bring you up to speed to this section of Scripture in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus ascending to heaven after he had come back after the resurrection. And he gives a mandate to the disciples. Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit poured out upon the disciples. And then we see Peter, right? He goes out and he preaches and 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. Real excitement, a lot of things going on. Acts chapters 3 and 4, Peter and John go to the temple and there's a lame beggar. And Peter lifts him up and he's healed. And this brings a big stirring and they rush into the temple. And the leaders of the temple get angry and they want to throw them in prison. But there's a problem. The guy who's healed is right there. And so they command him, you will not preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, hey, what are we going to do? Are we going to preach? You know, are we going to trust you or are we going to, you know, trust God? Who do we do? And he says, well, we're going, to, we're going to go ahead and preach this. And so they go back to their people. They pray and they get even more bold. And they go out and they start preaching. I mean, the Lord is moving in a big way. People are being healed. There's miracles going on. People are being saved. There's a great work happening here. Matter of fact, everybody's living in a community. They're, they're giving to one another and they're helping each other out. And, and it brings us to the end of chapter 4 here. And I want you to see this. Acts chapter 4, verses 33 through 37. 
It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who also was called Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, he sold it and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so the church is growing. There's many being saved. There's community happening. Everybody's giving to one another. You have this picture of Barnabas. Things are on a spiritual high. Things are looking great. And boom, Acts chapter 5. Let's read the text. But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart and you have not lied to men, but to God? And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and he breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men arose and they covered him up and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and she breathed her last. And the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit prompted Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, to make sure that this was in there as a warning, as a warning to the church not to become complacent and particularly to be aware of this particular sin, the sin of hypocrisy in the church. So the first thing we see is we need to be aware, beware of the hypocritical heart. If you look at verses one and two. It says a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property and they kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it. He lays it at the apostles feet. There's a sharp contrast here between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. You know, when the scriptures were put together, there were scribes that added the chapter and verse designations and they did that. So it's easier for us. And praise God for that. But those, they're connected there. Chapter 4 goes directly into chapter 5. And Luke wrote that specifically so that we could see the contrast here. And this contrasted with that word, but. But Barnabas. Right? At the end of chapter 4, is seen, he's seen as a man of sacrifice and honesty. He's seen as a man of encouragement. Contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira, which we see hypocrisy. Now, our culture, guys, it's so messed up. We are so confused. And I read this article. Um, it was Ann Rand, the late Ann Rand. She was speaking at Yale University, and she was asked by a reporter this. What's wrong with the modern world? Without any hesitation, this is what she said. She says, never before has the world been so desperately asking 
for answers to crucial questions. And never before has the world been so frantically committed to the idea that no answers are possible. To paraphrase the Bible, the modern attitude is this. Father, forgive us, for we know not what we're doing. And please don't tell us. That's our modern world, but that is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is doing something that you know and you do it anyway, in spite that you know it offends God. Hypocrisy is one who deliberately and as a habit professes to be good when he is aware he's not. And the word is from the Greek, it's called hypocrites, and it means an actor. You put on a mask when you're at church. Hey, guys, yeah, I'm here. I love the Lord. Hey, praise God. How you doing? But when you're home or maybe at work or when you're alone in that secret place, you're somebody totally different. It's hypocrisy. You're not truly who you're showing yourself to be. And there's a warning here. When you look at verses 1 and 2, it says that a certain man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, they sold this piece of property and they kept back some of it for themselves with his wife's full knowledge. They knew what they were doing. And the reason is I think they saw an opportunity here. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they're saying, hey, we have an opportunity to make a double profit, right? Because what happened when Barnabas came forward and he lays his gift at the apostles' feet, people are saying, wow, what a godly guy. He gave everything he had. He sold that land and he brings it to the church. Man, what a man of God, right? And they're they're hearing the accolades and the praise. And and Ananias, you know, he's thinking, wow, I want some of that. I want people to think that I'm godly. That's what I want. But wait a minute. That means I've got to give my money. <laughs> I want that too. Well, what do I do? I know. I'll give a portion. But I won't tell anybody. Just a little bit. And I'll keep back some for myself. It's a win-win. I get the praise of men. I get the money. Ah, oh, good stuff. Now, having money, that's not a sin. In fact, his giving is always voluntary in, within the church, is it not? And so it's, you know, we understand that God is good and that everything we have is from him. And, and, but what it was, it was the heart behind it, the heart behind this. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they saw Barnabas and they're thinking, wow, I want the praise men. I want the accolades and I want the money. How are we going to do this? They conceived it. They said, we're going to do this. Now, they're living a double standard. They want people to think they're doing something that they're actually not, and they're hypocrites. They're not only lying to the church, they're not only lying to themselves, but they're lying to God. This is how Matthew would put it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. You may want to go there, hold your place there, and go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you that you have your reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be given in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you pray, go into the inner room and when you've shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret 
will repay you. We're not to practice our righteousness, it says here, to be noticed. And that's what they're doing. They were practicing righteousness, quote-unquote, looking righteous to be noticed. And I read this, this story, great story. It was called The Two-Faced Butler. And it's about this, um, this statue that's in a, a large manor called Robertson Hall in Yorkshire, Yorkshire England. And it's, it's a butler that has two faces. On one side, you have that picture of the, you know, yes, kind of the smile and everything's all proper. And on the other side, you have this guy kind of scowling with his tongue sticking out. Mm, I'm not going to do that. And I guess it's a real man. And I guess the mistress of the house one day called her butler in and said, you know, I'd like some lunch. And, and he says, yes, ma'am. And as she turns around, she catches him going like that. And right away she says, you're fired. And she had this statue erected in his honor as a warning to any of the other servants in her household. Two-faced. That's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira are. They're two-faced. They're two different people. In front of the church, they want to appear all sacrificial and God-honoring. But behind closed doors, there's greed, there's contempt. And so you see this, these two different things. What they're doing is they're playing games with God. You guys play games with God? They're thinking, you know what, we're going to do this anyway. We know it's not right, but we want the money. And we want people to pat us on the back too. They had what we call a secret life. Anybody here have a secret life? Nobody knows about it. It's your little secret. You know, I was online... And I saw this article about this website that was started in 2008. And it's one of the fastest growing websites out there. And what it is, it's designed to facilitate extramarital affairs. And um, thousands of men and women, they basically kick their vows with no strings attached for a sexual entourage with somebody else. And they just released this new cell phone version where you don't leave a trail behind of virtual evidence on your home or, or work computer. Uh, in June of 2009, in just one month, 679,000 men and women used the site to commit adultery. Right now, there's over 4 million members on this site in two years. The CEO of the site, he shrugs off any criticism. He says, you know, it's just a platform. No website or 30-second ad is going to convince anyone to cheat. People cheat because their lives aren't working for them. And he went on to insist, you know, humans aren't meant to be monogamous. But when he was asked how he would respond if his own wife was to use his site, he said, I'd be devastated. Christians are to be transparent. We are to have a transparent life. People should see our life and say, oh, you see what you get. No secrets. The person of integrity is God-honoring, and he's the same way in every setting. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 puts it like this. It says, let, your, let not your adornment be merely external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, some people, when they read this, and there was a couple of commentators that thought, well, wait a minute, because of their actions, Ananias and Sapphira, they must not be believers. But I think there's four things that point that they are believers. And this is written particularly to the church as a warning. First, they were part of a congregation in chapter 4 of those who believed. Second, they were involved in the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Third, the Lord, we will see, will use them to teach other believers about this sin. And fourth, death can be a divine chastening from God for a believer. 
We see that both in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, and also 1 John 5.16. In both cases, God brought swift judgment for the act of sin from, on a believer. So the church is cruising along. Church is doing good. People are being added regularly. People are giving and being saved. And all of a sudden you have the sin of hypocrisy in the camp. We need to beware of this sin. Beware of the hypocritical heart. The next thing we see is beware the truth will come out. And that's verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Again, we have another contrast here. The word but again says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So you have this picture here of Ananias showing up, right? I'm sure he's dressed to the hilt. He's wearing his best dress, you know. He's ready. You know, this is the great apostle Peter. This is the guy who preaches, thousand comes to Christ. So he's a little bit nervous, you know. He's bringing his gift. And he comes and he lays it at the apostle's feet. And he's thinking he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And there's going to be people kind of surrounding him. Wow, what a godly guy. Awesome. Ananias. He's in for a big surprise. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The giving of Barnabas was Holy Spirit inspired. The giving of Ananias was satanically inspired. You need to be careful here. It says here, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Beware of your thought life. Satan is a master. And he's a liar. And what he wants to do is he wants to bring a thought in. Now, what happens when he brings the thought in? We have a couple options. We can resist it, flee from that thought, or we can take it, make it captive, and begin to chew on it. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira did. He brought in the thought like, hey, this could be a winning situation. You can give a part of your money, stick a little bit in the bank, and you can just act like you gave it all. Nobody's going to know. Winner! Do it. He conceived this plan and he and his wife start working out the details, right? With her full knowledge. They knew what they were doing. They knew it went against what God wanted. But they conceived it, took it, made it their own. So the devil brought in the idea, but they made it their own. They sinned. They sinned before the Lord. And it says here that Ananias and Sapphira, that they lied to the Holy Spirit in verses 3 and 4. In addition, it says, by testing the Spirit, they revealed that they knew that the scent was there. They tested the Spirit in verse 9. They knew what they were doing, guys. It wasn't like, oops. They walked in knowing what was going on. Now, some people might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is a God of grace. And, and doesn't it work like this? If, if I sin, he's just going to give me more grace. And then I can sin some more. And he gives me more grace. And I sin some more. And he just gives more grace. Aren't we supposed to do that? This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Ananias was the first to test the Holy Spirit. He was confronted by Peter. He failed the test. God knew his heart. He was too far gone. His conscience was seared. In the lying mind of Ananias, he thinks, you know what? I'm going to receive the praise of men. I get to keep my money. Nobody's going to know. 
We need to be very careful about lying to ourselves, particularly if we have a habitual sin. If we have a sin that we do over and over and over and over again, what happens is it scars our conscience to the point we no longer can hear the Lord. He may be saying, hey, warning, warning, but we can't hear it. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 puts it like this. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, they sear their own conscience as with a branding iron. Now, Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, speaking about lying, this is what he says. He says, you know, he says, I've seen almost all sorts of people converted, great blasphemers, people seeking pleasure, thieves, drunks, those in addictions, sexually immoral people. But rarely have I seen a person converted who has been a habitual, bold-faced liar. The heart that is crammed with craftiness and treachery seems almost as if it has passed out of the reach of grace. Now, we know theologically that that's not true, that, that any sin can be forgiven by God. But what happens is, is our heart can become so hard to the working of the Holy Spirit, we no longer will listen. Warning. Warning. If you're playing a game with God, if you've got something in your life that you know, you know this displeases the Lord, but you're going to keep it anyway, it's your little pet. I like this little pet. Did you guys ever hear the one about um, sin is like um, a brooch? You know, it's like a brooch in the dark, and, you know, you're... You stroke it, and it's my little sin. It's my little pet sin. I just love this brooch. It's so beautiful. And then somebody flips on the life, and it's a roach. Ah! (laughs) Careful. It might bite you. Careful. Okay. The deceit of Ananias does not fool Peter, though. He's a man of spirit-given discernment. Now, Psalm 44, verse 21 says, God knows the secret intents of the hearts. In verse 4, it says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived in your heart, you have not lied to men but to God? Peter's basically saying, hey, look, this is your property. It's a privilege. God gave it to you. The profit was yours to do what you will. So it's not the issue of the money or the profit. It's the issue of what he did with it. He used it to lie, not only to Peter, not only to the church, but he used it to lie to God. Some of you might be doing something right now that you think nobody's going to know. Your your spouse isn't going to know. Your friends, they don't know. Hey, us pastors, we don't have a clue. God knows. God knows. He sees that secret intent of the heart. And what Luke is doing here is saying, warning, do not play games with God. The issue is the truth is going to come out. And he didn't blame it on Satan. Peter says, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart. He took that thought, he made it his own, and then he sinned with it. Satan never makes a Christian sin. What he does is he brings the temptation, right? And we're commanded when the temptation comes to our door, we're to resist and we're to flee from temptation. Peter says, you haven't lied to men, you've lied to God. When I read that, I actually got kind of a shiver down my spine. You haven't lied to men, but you've lied to God. Luke said this in Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. After that, they have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one whom has killed. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. 
So the church is cruising at this spiritual high, and all of a sudden there's sin in the camp. And particularly this sin, when you lie to God and you make it spiritual, you're suddenly an enemy of the Lord. Be careful. Hypocrisy, beware of the hypocritical heart, beware the truth will come out. The third thing, beware the cost of hypocrisy is always high. This is verses 5 through 10. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and he breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young men arose and they covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, he said, tell me, you sold, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed to get together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husbands are at the door and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and she breathed her last. The young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and they buried her beside your husband. We exist to serve God, not the other way around. God does not exist to serve us. Can I say that again? God has created us to serve him. As believers, we exist to serve for the glory of God, and it's not the other way around. This is just a side note. There's a lot of people that like to listen to people that teach prosperity. You know, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, uh, Joel Osteen. What they're teaching is not so much that we are to serve God. They're teaching that God has to serve you with prosperity. In fact, I had a call this week from a poor woman. She was struggling with her assurance because things weren't going her way and she didn't think she had enough faith. And so even though she's received Christ, she'd been walking with him faithfully because she's been listening, particularly to Joel Osteen. She suddenly had a break in her because she couldn't, she couldn't drum up the faith to make the prosperity happen. Guys, it's a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell. I just want to encourage you, don't listen to that stuff. We have false teachers within our midst, and I think those are some of them. Be careful. Know the Word of God. We exist to serve God. This right here is a case of God's judgment taking immediate effect. The ultimate cause of death wasn't that Peter did it. It was that God judged him right there, and in his judgment, he took him out. And I think it's a sobering truth that sometimes God may take the life of a sinning believer. Death is God's ultimate form of physical discipline for a sinning believer. Bottom line is God wants his church pure. God desires that his church be pure. And I don't want to say right here, none of us are perfect. You know, this is not the idea that we have to be perfect before God. With the Holy Spirit's help, we're able to walk with him. I call it keeping a short account. Keep a short account with the Lord. If you see that there's something up in your heart, you just go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, 1 John 1, 9. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But both Ananias and Sapphira, they concocted this idea, and they weren't going to give up on it. They were going to take it to the hilt. It says here that great fear came upon all who heard it. So instantly you have Ananias, he falls down dead, right? We have guys, they take him out and they bury him, and what happens is, is the fear comes into the church. And it spread. Not only did it spread within the church, but I think it went to the surrounding communities. Wow, that God has real power. And it caused people to begin to realize, wow, I think this God that we're serving, he's holy. He's holy. And it says that fear came into the church. That word fear is the word phobos in the Greek, and it doesn't mean reverence. It means terror. 
You ever been really afraid? Something that really scared you? When I was 14, I had a buddy. His name was Gilbert. And I had him spend the night one night. My brother Rick was 16. He got a job at a place called Noggles. You guys know Noggles? They make burritos and burgers. And, and he used to come in about 12 o'clock. And so my buddy and I always said, hey, let's scare him. So we have this hallway, and there's like this space on each side as you, as you come down into the hallway. And so Gilbert and I lined up, you know, on each side of the hallway. And as soon as he walked into the hallway, we both grabbed our arm and went, Hah! and he went, Hah! passed out, dead. I, I thought we killed him, you know. I'm like, ah! Terror. <laughs> My brother beat me up later for that one. <laughs> he did, for real. This caused people to have a healthy fear, if you will, of God. They recognize that God is holy. He's holy. Now, Sapphira, she arrives three hours later. Look at verses 7 and 8. There elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether or not you sold the land for such and such a price. And she says, yes, that was the price. Do you see right there that, that he gave her an opportunity to escape? The door was open. He gives an opportunity for Sapphira to say, you know what, I'm going I'm to honor God here. My husband, he was wrong. Peter, I can't do this, right? The door's open. Peter lays it out. He doesn't just say, boom, you're dead. He says, wait, you know, did, did, was that really the price? I mean, tell me. She has the door. It's right there. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you, but, but such is common to man. And God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you'll be able to endure it. There was the door. Peter opened it. Whoop. Take it. And it's nice. No. Yeah, that was the prize. Okay. You shut the door. Had the opportunity. So often, guys, that, that is the case for us. When we're tempted, look for the door. You resist the temptation, flee through the door. So Ananias says that was the price. So she too pays with her life. Look at 9 and 10. And Peter said, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet. She breathed her last. And the young men came and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. So the action of God's swift judgment on both Ananias and Sapphira was meant to oppress upon the church in that day, and I think and today, the seriousness of the sin of hypocrisy that is lying to God. Beware of a hypocritical heart. The truth will come out. And the cost of hypocrisy is always high. And the last thing we see here is that God will purge his church of sin. He does. In verse 11, it says that great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, again, Luke is saying great fear. So he uses it twice in these 11 verses. And the word for great is the Greek word megas, and it means really, really big. It means huge. So a fear of God came into the church. And I don't know if within the church at that time they were kind of playing games with God and there may have been a few people that were thinking, you know, I'm going to kind of work the deal here. Boom, he came in and laid that and everybody realized, wow, God is holy. Now for those of you here that maybe have only heard that, that God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life, that is a true statement, but it's only true in that we have a right understanding of who God is. We have to understand his goodness and his holiness together. And when we do that, we have a full picture of the true and living God that we serve. God does desire that we live a life that honors him. In honesty, with transparency, 
you know, in the first century church, people would look at believers and they'd say, hey, those guys are Christ followers. And later became the name Christian. Can people look at your life and say, that person's a Christ follower. I think they're a Christian because they see you living for Christ. You're living it out. Great fear not only affected the church, but it also affected those outside the church. For those in the church playing games, they went, whoa, I better watch my life, right? For those outside the church, they said, wow, real power in that God. And it actually became an attraction. I'm going to check this out. What's that all about? So God used this to keep building the church and to cause people to reverence him in a right heart. Whenever you share the fear of God, I want to bring in the love of God. You have to, because that is our God. And this is what Romans says for, the, for a believer. Listen to this, Romans eight thirty-five through 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who's loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I believe Ananias and Sapphira are in heaven. The Bible speaks about believers who come in as if through the flames. I think, you know, because they received Christ that he honored that but he brought swift judgment to them. But who wants to enter in that way? I want to enter in saying, thank you, Lord. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It's the difference between reverence and fear. I don't want to enter in heaven in fear. I want to enter in heaven with a reverence for my God, a love for him, for what I see that he's done for me. And that's why this warning's here. It's to give us a healthy understanding and respect for who God is. And I want to just take this moment right now, and I want us to bow our heads together. I don't know why the Lord has you here today or what's going on in your life. But as I've been sharing these scriptures, if God has said there's something in your life and I'm pinpointing it right now. The Bible says that when that happens, we need to repent. We need to turn to him by faith. If you're already a believer, you can say, Lord, forgive me. And in 1 John, it says that he's faithful to do that. And I want to just pray a prayer. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands or come forward. Just between you and the Lord right now. And you know what he's talking about. Let's pray. Father, I recognize that this area of my life offends you. And I recognize, Lord, that it's serious because I know from the word of God right now that I'm living as a hypocrite. That I have turned myself into an actor. I'm one way here and another way when I'm not here. And so, Father, forgive me. By the blood of Christ, I know that I'm forgiven. And I claim that, Lord. And I ask, Father, that you forgive me, restore me, make me new. Because that's what you do, because you're good and you're loving. In Jesus' name, amen. Could I have you stand with me? I shared during communion that um, in the book of Ephesians, it says that, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been given such a gift 
in Christ? Because everyone in this room, if we were honest without Christ, we would be an Ananias and Sapphira, would we not? Yeah, but because of the blood of Christ, we've been changed. And I want to give you an opportunity right now. If, if you've never received Christ, if you recognize even through this that, you know, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. God is holy, but he's willing to forgive. I want us to bow our heads again. And I want to just offer up a prayer to receive Christ. So let's bow. If that's you, I just want you to pray with me. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have sinned against you, a holy God. And I call upon you to forgive me through Jesus. You have died for me, Lord. And I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. And I repent. I turn from my sin. And I will follow you all my days. And I ask you to help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we're going to have some people up here afterwards. I'd like you to come forward and just share what you've done. And we have some materials that we'd like to give you and pray with you.